You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hello, Mike White and Projection Booth podcast listeners. This is Mark Bigley, the host of Wake Up Heavy, and it looks like it's time for another Ego Fest. In lieu of questions, this time I am sending in my heartfelt congratulations on 500 episodes of the best movie podcast around, as well as offering up a huge thank you. Thank you for the show. It is a film lover's dream. Thank you for all the time and energy you put into the show. And thank you for being a ridiculously generous person, not only with your show, but with so many other people's shows. For me personally, thank you for guesting on four episodes now. Thank you for having me on as a guest. Thank you for always being open to answering questions. And for the editing tutorials that you often present, if anyone is interested in seeing the nuts and bolts of the show, I strongly suggest that you sit in on an editing session. Mike posts when he does that on social media, and it is very helpful. So if you have your own podcast, definitely take a look at how Mike puts one together. So congrats on 500. Here's to 500, 1,000, or 1,500 more, and thank you for all that you do for the film community. Ego Fest 10. It is once again that time of year where I kick back and just talk about things related to the projection booth, the show itself. First off, I want to thank Mark Begley for that opener. Mark runs a fantastic podcast called Wake Up Heavy. If you haven't heard it, I definitely recommend that you check it out. We have some special guests in this episode. We have some news. So let me go ahead and I'll start with a little bit of news. Some of you have written and said, hey, what happened to the podcast on Spotify? Well, I'll tell you what. The RIAA, which is in charge of making sure that things, music in particular, are not bootlegged. Well, they got in touch with me, gosh, a couple months ago and said, hey, there's a couple podcasts where you have songs on here and you need to pull these songs off or pull the podcast down. I didn't necessarily think that it was a 
a real threat. I thought, okay, well, they'll pull them down or whatever, because it was also Spotify was on the CC. So I'm like, okay, cool. Spotify can handle this. No, no, I had to take them down. So I took those down. Uh, it was like, I think maybe like a freep thing from years ago, freep film fest. And there was a music mix, which I said, yeah, sure. I'll take those down. Got back with the RIAA and said, okay, these are all set. Please, you know, reinstate my podcast. I think I've sent a dozen, two dozen, maybe emails to them saying, okay, I'm all set. Please reinstate my podcast. Nope. I haven't heard a fucking word. I am off Spotify for now, just so you know. But there are other, many other places where you can get the podcast. I recommend possibly iTunes or Stitcher or even just going to Spreaker itself. And yeah, you can always get the podcast via the website, projectionboothpodcast.com. Though I know for me, I like to subscribe to things. I use an app called Beyond Pod. That's for, I'm not sure if it's for iPhones or not, but it definitely is for Android phones. And I bought the license years and years ago and haven't had any issues with it, knock wood. I also wanted to take a few minutes here just to talk about a recent loss that the podcasting book film community has had, which was Mike McBeardo McPadden. McBeardo had been on a few episodes of the show. His books have informed a lot of things that we've done over the years. McBeardo was first on the Black Roses episode. I did a special episode talking about one of his other books, which is Teen Movie Hell. He also did the Heavy Metal Movies book, which is fantastic. As part of the Teen Movie Hell book, we also had him on as one of the co-hosts on the Better Off Dead slash One Crazy Summer episode. Mike was always really generous with his time, very nice with me. I am just surprised that he's gone. It was very sudden. No one expected it. And I just, I feel bad for him and his family. So there is a fundraiser going on right now for him. I'm not saying that you have to give anything. If you can, do it. It's one way of showing support for his family. Even just kind words and memories are another way of showing your support. So I will include a link to that GoFundMe in the show notes over at projectionboothpodcast.com. For the folks who are Patreon subscribers... I want to thank you always. Usually you get a little bit of a bonus episode to say, here's what's coming in the next month. Well, this one's going out to everybody because everyone can listen to this Ego Fest. Coming up in January on the show, it is musical month. Never have done this theme before. We've done a lot of musicals before, but I've never actually dedicated an entire month just to musicals. And there are four very different kinds of musicals. We're going to start off with Evita. Then we're moving on to Hair, the Milos Forman film, The Blues Brothers, and we're rounding it out with Duets, the Bruce Paltrow film. If you haven't seen those, check them out now so then you won't be so unfamiliar when the episodes drop in January. Also, we're going to have one, maybe two bonus episodes in January. We are hoping for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, basically the whole Bill and Ted franchise, as well as Alien Resurrection. That's Alien 4, if you go by the SADAC rules. And then just a word of warning, February has no theme. It is a complete grab bag of weird stuff. Some people try to figure out themes in what I'm doing, like when it comes to watch parties on Friday nights. There's no theme to this. 
And speaking of watch parties, we are continuing watch parties in 2021. I am working from home until at least March, maybe April, some Friday nights I am putting on the watch party. I will try to warn folks in advance. Also, you can go to the invite that is out there on Facebook. I will paste a link in the show notes for this episode. Check it out. I think there's a couple times in January we are where we are recording on a Friday night, mostly to accommodate like Australian schedules. So won't be doing watch parties on those nights. I also did really want to hit this Saturday, December 26th. This is a tradition for my friends and I. Every December 26th, we try to get together and watch Black Shampoo. Uh, things are a little different these days because of COVID. So we're going to do a watch party on the 26th. And everyone is invited to that. If you haven't seen Black Shampoo, now is the time to do it. It'll be at 8 o'clock Saturday, December 26th. That's 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm not going to figure it out for the rest of the world. I probably will have other things that come up after that that are kind of related to favorite films that we used to watch when I was in high school. So possibly Disco Godfather, Orgy of the Dead, things like that. So should be some good stuff. And you can get to that through tinyurl.com slash projection booth cast that's k-a-s-t party and you just need to download the cast app on your phone hopefully you're not watching on your phone on your computer there's no roku tie-in unfortunately so it's mostly computer based so let's go ahead and we're going to play the first of two special segments that we have for this ego fest coming up right now is mr rob saint mary who is going to read the reader mail, ask some questions from that, as well as some questions of his own. I'm excited to be in here and get a chance to talk to you. I mean, it has been a while. I think I was only on, what, like one episode this year? I think you're right. Are you on more next year? I'm on a couple. Okay, good. You were kind enough to put the list up, and and I said, yeah, I'll take Under the Flag of the Rising Sun. You know, well, can't you Which was a suggestion you placed, like, three years ago, probably, or four I'm going to make a case for that film, and if people are listening now, you just go ahead and watch it, and then you can join us when we're going to do it sometime in 2021. I think it's in the spring. One of the things about, and, and, and I definitely think this is, an, is definitely an American thing, or European thing, is that we get so many World War II films from the perspective of Germany, and granted, Nazis great fucking evil bastards, so you can understand why that's the case. I will not have you talk about my president that way. I was trying not to go there. But the thing is, is that we get so many World War II films of Europe, and we don't get enough from the perspective of the, of the Pacific. Now, there are a few that are really good, like, um, like I like Thin Red Line. I think Malik did a fantastic uh, job on that. I liked the two films that Clint Eastwood did. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to talk about those when we do Under the Flag of the Rising Sun, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. But we don't really get a lot of the Pacific theater. And as the grandson of a wounded World War II vet who fought in, in the Pacific, I've always had a, 
had a hunger to understand uh, the Japanese perspective. And I think that that's why Under the Flag of the Rising Sun and also Clint Eastwood's uh, Letters from Iwo Jima are, are really fascinating films because they give us that. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. I'm looking forward to talking about, I think, end of the year, around this time next year, 2021, uh, Fight Club. And, oh, yes, the world's slowest reader has read that book. Not only that, I've read the comic book sequel. I just bought the third comic book sequel, and I own a copy of the prequel on vinyl. Now, most people do not know that there is a there is a Fight Club prequel. I didn't know about it until right now. So we'll be talking about that. The one that I'm working my way through, I had to shut it off, but I'm going to come back to it uh, over the holiday break here, is um, Southland Tales. And uh, I signed up for that one sight unseen. I've never seen that movie. I watched, I think, half of uh, one of the versions. Wow. That's all I can say. So um, that is going to be a conversation to be to be sure. But I'm glad that I get to triple the amount of times that I've been on the show next year. I, yeah. I, I think part of it, to be honest, and I know I'm talking a lot right now, is uh, I've just been busy. Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. You know, wanted to make sure I could dedicate the, the time and attention that uh, you so rightly require when it comes to um, being on this show. I mean, the, the people who come on, who co-host, who uh, do the work to be on the show with you each and every week, it's no joke. I mean, this isn't just a bunch of guys sitting around drinking beer and talking about, that was cool, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, it's, this is the real deal, man. And, uh, you got to bring your A game. So I knew that I couldn't do that over the last several years, even though I know that every so often I'll get a message from someone who goes, man, when are you going to be back on with Mike? You know, I miss, uh, miss hearing you. And, you know, I, I miss playing the Bunwell drinking game. So it, it is what it is. Yeah, it was so nice. I uh, did an episode with uh, Jedediah Ayers, and uh, it was the To Live and Die in L.A. episode. He was like, oh, well, I watched this movie and this movie and this movie and this movie. And I was just like, holy cow. I'm like, you're putting me to shame. He goes, what else do I have to do? You do this every week. You know, I, I <laughs> he was like preparing for months ahead of time. I was like, oh, OK, well, that's really nice. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for actually being considered of like, yes, I do do this every week. And I'm like scrambling. So he's like doing the right thing. He's pacing himself out. He's reading the books. He's watching the movies and co comes to the show even more prepared than I was. I don't know if you want to call anybody out, but I remember before, I think it was during my time as your uh thoroughly ensconced co-host over those many years there was someone who came on the show and you were just like i remember afterward you were like never again i will never have that person as a co-host on this like i don't even know if they watched the movie it just seems like it was a complete waste of time having that person on and i was like damn straight well right now my never again list is one two three four five six people so Wow. There is a Hall of Shame. If people are interested, I will not read out the Hall of Shame, but there is a Hall of Shame where I just say, never again, I will not work with this person ever again. The thing that's amazing to me, and this was part of the reason why I, I slid into your uh, you know, little email and said, hey, so you got an Ego Fest coming up. You know, Would it be okay if I came on and asked you a few questions and you know maybe i can read the viewer mail or listener mail i guess you know i just i just wanted a, an opportunity to chat with you but also i really kind of wanted to focus on the fact are, are, are we there yet or is it coming up in 2021 that it's uh 10 years 
10 years in March of 2021, but 500 episodes at the end of 2020. Those don't even include the special episodes, right? No, and you know we do a lot of those. And I, it's always funny because I think the special episodes tend to actually get more listeners than the regularly scheduled ones because the special episodes usually end up being like the more popular mainstream titles like this year, Commando and Jaws. And of course, we had a lot of listeners for those as opposed to Crumbs or, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, uh, Seeds of Man, you know, just like stuff that nobody's ever heard of. We've heard of Jaws and they want to listen to episodes about Jaws. That is the effort of any, I don't care if it's a publishing house, a record label, to balance the things you love versus the things you know that will sell. And speaking of selling, are we going to get cut right in the middle of this conversation right now by a Starbucks ad? I am impressed, my man, because when I came on originally at the end of 2011, wow, almost 10 years ago, to do Bloodsucking Freaks, my first episode with you, that fine holiday film, it was like... Free ads galore. It was like, yeah, we'll talk about your podcast and we'll put your little podcast promos on there. And maybe if you want to give us a couple of bucks, go over to the Adam and Eve and buy yourself some uh, marital aids and use our code. And that was about it. And you said you made a, a whole 35 cents for a long time. So you must be rolling in the dough. Oh, my God. Yes. So much money. No. <laughs> no. No. I'm lucky if I make 500 bucks a month from this stuff. And for the amount of time you put into it? Just 39 cents. That's less than a small cup of coffee. Could never pay my bills, unfortunately. I was very surprised. I, I posted on Twitter a few weeks ago. I was just like, man, I wish I could just do this as a full-time job. And then somebody wrote back, they're like, it isn't your full-time job. You do another job on top of this. I was like, yeah, yeah. I work 40 hours a week and like a real job type job. This is just a hobby. If I could make enough money, I would do it full-time. That would be fantastic. One of the things I wanted to ask you when it comes to this, when you look over this, this 10 years for you, these, you know, 500 episodes and whatnot. I mean, you've climbed so many mountains. Why is he climbing a mountain? Gone so many places with the show. What do you want next? What do you What do you want to do next with the show? What is it for you? What still makes it interesting after 10 years? The conversations make it the most interesting. I mean, especially this year. 2020 has just been such a shit year. But thank God for having the podcast because I've been able to connect with people still. The interviewees, the co-hosts, having that connection and having that outlet has just been invaluable being able to have conversations about stuff that i love being able to watch movies that i've never seen before and then being able to have semi-intelligent conversations about those that's really what i enjoy the most as far as what i want to do next i mean I say it at the end of almost every episode, global domination is my end game, And I don't think people take me seriously enough about that. What exactly would that look like? On the back of your wrist, I would like to have like, I don't know, maybe like a, a tattoo or a barcode or something. And you wouldn't be able to trade goods unless you had that. Sounds fine. I would like more people to listen to the show. That would probably be the thing that I would like. And I would like every once in a while when people write, like, here are the best movie podcasts you should be listening to. I wouldn't mind to mention every once in a while. That would be pretty cool. I wanted to ask you if you hold any ill will against me 
related to this show because the the show's unwieldy length of time of the shows are actually kind of partly my fault. The original concept of the show was an hour. It was 59 minutes. And I remember you were like, right, it's got to be 59 minutes. Any of these interviews or whatever, uh, they'll all just be extras. And... I came on and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I work in radio and everything has to be formatted and all that stuff. And I'm like, there's so many good things that I've had to, like, put on the on the cutting room floor. How about we take the Fight Club attitude to this? And you were like, what's the Fight Club attitude? And I said, fights will go on as long as they have to. The podcast goes on as long as it has to. That's how you end up with a seven-hour Conan episode. So, is it my fault that you are now the king of the really long podcast did you like doing the hour-long version would you rather do the hour-long version or do you really like the longer version because i was the one who opened his big mouth and said let's just do it that way i love not being beholden to a specific time period and i love the idea of again having those conversations and not having to kill parts of them of course i still go through and i edit like crazy and i edit out my horrible jokes that i make all the time i will edit out my horsey laugh and any sort of like weird digressions that we get into and then when it comes to like interview subjects sometimes yeah i'll ask him about things that aren't necessarily pertinent to the movie that we're talking about but folks are giving me their time and i find so many of these stories just inherently fascinating. Tell me the story of when Lenny Bruce went to the comedy club and said, boy, that Vaughn Meter's career is fucked now after the Kennedy assassination. That's great. I want to hear those stories. I don't care if they're not pertinent to the discussion at hand, but give me that color commentary. And, and if anything, I'm hoping one of these days, somebody might actually be interested in some of the stuff that we talk about and be able to go, oh, there's like a whole treasure trove of things here. And so many things that aren't necessarily 100% related to the movie, but there's more information here, stuff that might actually prove valuable to somebody else someday. And that is what I tried to do in my radio career. The one thing I learned, sadly, is, you know, I worked at a series of radio stations. I'm no longer employed in radio anymore. But I learned very early on that I had to keep my own archive because most of the places that I worked did not. I think that there's a lot of media orgs that sort of feel like, eh, you know, the, the New York Times or here in Detroit, the free press, they're the media of records. So there's really no point in us keeping our interviews or our stories or anything like that. They're ephemeral. They're made to be, you know, they're basically popcorn. You just kind of, eh move on. It's not a meal. It's light entertainment. And I never really took that approach. I always wanted the approach that the interviews I did, the stories I did, the things that I did were very much a snapshot, not only of the time in which they were created, but also probably where I was mentally at the time as well. Like, what were the things I was interested in? Why was I interested in those things? What were these people who I was talking to? What were they doing? So I 100% agree with you. And I'm, I'm glad that you have this massive treasure trove of of episodes i mean 500 episodes i mean i don't know if you've done the math i mean that's got to be are you at 10,000 hours the old uh you know um the old malcolm, malcolm gladwell? gladwell yeah <laughs> and it's me it's the beatles i don't think i'm at 10,000 well i'm probably at 10,000 hours as far as working on it but as far as like actual output of things uh spreaker used to keep 
really prominent a number that would say, you are at this number of hours of, of content. I don't think that they do that anymore. Last time I remember looking, it was like 1,700 hours, and that was a few months ago. So it's it's definitely gone up since then. Okay, well maybe we can get you a ten hour episode on, you know, something and help boost those numbers. What do you think? I'm sure my Empire Strikes Back episode is going to be somewhere around there. Seven hundred and sixty eight episodes of the Projection Booth. That doesn't include the other podcasts that I've done or the guest spots or anything. But yeah, that's just. The projection booth, and that also includes like a couple smaller things, some bonuses here and there, but then, yeah, also some special episodes that are just ginormous. And they're all being stored on one hard drive. And it's right next to this large magnet. I'm lucky, and I I wanted to tell you this because I don't know if if I did tell you this. Uh, I think listeners would be interested in this, is that all of the episodes that I was on, all the episodes that either I was a co-host on or I edited to date, I believe I have copies of all of those. There might be a few i got to check with you to get. But all of that stuff... Thank you, Hal. Oh, I miss hearing Holly while we're podcasting. But all of those episodes have been included into my work that I did when I was in radio, and it all has been sent to your alma mater, the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and is being stored at the Bentley Historical Library. That belongs in a museum! Now, the Bentley Historical Library, for those who aren't hip to know what that is at the University of Michigan, this is the place that holds all the governor's papers going back to the 1830s. Uh, they have a massive collection of uh, the underground press of the 1960s, and they actually have all of the newspapers, the free press, the news, um, even the Detroit Times, which has been defunct since the 1960s. Uh, they have copies of all of that, as well as other notable people throughout history, and then they decided, well, we would like to collect your materials as well. So all the Projection Booth episodes uh, that I'm on uh, will be there. Uh, I would like to offer to you and see if you're interested to make that connection for you and see if maybe you would like to have your materials stored there in totality. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. That sounds great. Within the University of Michigan archive system, although a different library, there's a lot of great stuff. Remember, there was um, we went over there to look at uh, what was it, Robert Altman's stuff, Orson Welles, Orson Welles. Yep, and yeah, I've looked at Altman's stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, we went there and we were uh, well. That's where we recorded our um, Secret Honor. Secret Honor. Yeah, I will make that connection for you between the archivist there and you, and then that way you won't have to worry about that hard drive stored next to the magnet. It will be handled by legit archivists who have been handling uh, very precious materials for a long time. How our stuff got there, we'll never quite understand that, but at least it's in there with everything else. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. I just want to say to you, congrats, sir. Well, thank you. I couldn't have gotten here without you, though, or any of the other folks that have been co-hosts throughout the years. You know, everybody's committed so much time and so much effort. It's just remarkable. And yeah, I feel bad for all you suckers. Since I am over here rolling in dough, I have a $100 bill that I just lit my cigarette with. So it all pays off in the end. All your hard work is padding my bank account. You're only smoking cigarettes? I mean, you should be smoking some big, fat Cuban cigars. Try one of these Jamaican cigars, Ambassador. They're pretty good. 
Thank you, no. I do not support the work of imperialist stooges. Oh, only commie stooges, huh? You did get some questions. I figure, why not read these questions instead of having you read the questions? Stuart Rankin writes in, how do you pick the films you're going to cover? And then, in what way are you trying to keep the podcast fresh to retain subscribers in our current times when people are spending much less time listening to podcasts? So let's go back to the first question. How do you pick the films you're going to cover? It's a weird combination of things. You know the secret sauce, Rob. You know about the Google Docs. You, you know where the bodies are buried. You know where we keep like the running list of, I don't know, 100, 200 movies at a time where it's just like, we should talk about this. We should talk about this. And just goes on and on forever. And then at the end of or near the end of the year, I will try to put the list together for the next year. And with that, it's right now we've got two theme months which are Chicktember and Noirvember. Um, and then other things have cropped up where it's like, oh, well, we'll do a theme month of this, a theme month of that. Because you look at that list of titles and you start to see patterns. Um, you know, it's like that whole, what was that, uh, the, the character that Russell, Russell Crowe played, John Nash. Like, uh, you know, you start to see all the patterns that are happening here and um, start to pull those things out. So that's how we ended up with like three months of films that were all released in 1969 this year. Uh, <laughs> Which, which you know, the, those had huge numbers. Just a huge draw of all these obscure titles from 1969. People love that stuff. They eat it up. But then the other part of it is, do I have a connection with the film as far as can I get an actor, a director, a writer? Sometimes things just kind of fall in my lap as well, where it's like, hey – this person is available to talk to you. Okay, cool. Not only will I talk to them, but I will figure out an episode to put them on. Like, uh, we're going to be doing an episode about uh, Alien Resurrection. And that came about because Leland Orser was available to talk to me. Uh, a mutual friend put us together, and I was like, okay, great. I'll turn this into an Alien Resurrection episode. And then I started looking around, I'm like, Hey, Pitof is available for an interview. That would be great for that as well. And maybe I'll be able to talk to Gary Dorden as well, and that'll be a third interview for that. So things just kind of come about organically sometimes. For me, I would just suggest things. I would say, hey, how about this or how about that? You would suggest things, but then that two-by-four that you carried also had a little weight to it. Well, you know, I grew up in the 80s watching WWF, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a, a hero. So in what way or ways are you trying to keep the podcast fresh to retain subscribers in our current times when people aren't listening to podcasts so much? See, this is the thing uh, that I noticed was when the, when the shutdown started to happen, uh, and I was still going to the office, I could still listen uh, in the car because I often listen to podcasts uh, in the car. Me too. And then everything got backed up when I started working from home because the time that I usually had set aside to listen to podcasts, I had to make a conscious effort to listen to them. Um, so I would put on my um, 
put on my headphones and walk to the post office or I put on my headphones and wash the dishes or just sit on the couch. Uh, the other thing that I learned is because of the way the iPods are, are made now, I've gotten really good at listening to podcasts at like one and a half to two times speed. And when I listen to them normal now, they sound like they're like stoned. They sound really slow when you listen at normal speed. Like my brain is going, there's something wrong with his voice. That's what I found. I found that I had to listen at uh, one and a half to two times speed to get through them. But anyway, as for keeping it fresh, keeping your subscribers and current, and since people are spending less time listening to podcasts, I, what do you think? I don't know if I've done anything different. Um, I'm just kind of putting them out the same way as I usually do. I'm like you. I have, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of podcasts right now on my phone. I'm looking at my list and it's like, I will occasionally listen to stuff. I used a lot of time over the summer when I was putting together a couple of bicycles for listening to podcasts. I listened to uh, the whole We Hate Movies series that they did on the Pirates of the Caribbean films while I was doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm super far behind on things. I don't know if we're doing anything that fresh, though perhaps you could say like because of... You know, after nearly 10 years of this and after nearly 500 episodes of this, we're starting to get a little bit of more of a reputation. And it's like now getting interviews isn't as difficult as it might have been at one time. It's still, there's still a lot of layers. There's still a lot of publicists who are actively just like, no, no, no. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to give my client publicity, even though that's part of my title. But if I can get to the right people at the right time and people look at the website and they see who's been on the show, I'm getting yeses more than no's sometimes, which is nice. So being able to get like a Willem Dafoe on the show, I figure that keeps it a little fresh because it's like the caliber of star might be bringing more people in. I don't know. Does that sound like a good answer? No, that's that's absolutely true. One of the things I think most people don't realize, and I don't think you've ever really talked about this, is, and I have friends who, you know, are actors and directors and producers and people are in the industry, and they will say to me, publicists and managers, their job is to say no. Mm -hmm. That's their job. That's what they get hired to do. So the fact that you, I, and I know I've seen the messages before where people will go and take you to task and go, well, you didn't get so-and-so or you didn't try and get so-and-so. Like, no, you really don't understand how this system works. You really don't understand how publicists and managers really work because right. they're like, and, and just go with me real quick, listener, to understand this. If I'm a publicist or a manager and I say yes to something and my client does it, and it's a horrible experience, I'm out of work. Mm -hmm. Or I could be out of work. That could be a strike against me. So saying no is actually playing it safe. Saying no is actually the default position for most people in management of clients. And so why would they take a risk on some guy from Detroit who does a podcast? No. Like, why... <laughs> you know, um, but you are right. I think the fact that we have, you know, during my time there and over, you know, your time of doing this over, you know, those 10 years, 
just has some fucking amazing guests. Uh-huh. And when you put that in the bottom, like I absolutely love getting emails from you because I love the quotes from the various uh, reviewers that you've gotten over the years. And I love the growing list of people. And I know on my time on the show, it has been amazing to be on there and to, and to do those interviews with you. And I have to say, it's sad too, when some of these people, because you've been around so long, are no longer with us. Yeah, that's really sad. It, somebody was asking me the other day as far as like, well, what percentage of the people that you've talked to do you think have passed away? And I'm just like, that's a really morbid question. I can't give you an answer because, it, and sometimes I will find out years after they have passed away that they passed away. And it's just like, oh shit. It doesn't feel like I've been doing this for 10 years. It just feels like I've been doing it for just a little while. So it's like, oh, hey, I seem to remember we're going to be doing an episode about this movie. And I seem to remember that this guy worked on it for a little bit. So let me go. I'm going to look him up and see what's going on with him right now. Passed away. I'm just like, oh, man, that sucks. So it, you don't hear about a lot of people, especially nobody's writing a, a major obituary about Tobar Mayo if he ever passes away. Hopefully he never does. But it's like it's gonna take a lot to to find out, hey, this guy passed. You know, you're gonna have to actively look for it sometimes. So yeah, it's it's really sad to to know that people have passed on that we've talked to. It's a real bummer. But I feel good in the knowledge that we have captured a bit of that history that we do have that interview with them as a matter of fact talking about what we're all going through right now when it comes to COVID-19 the first episode I was on we lost this year Joel M. Reed who died from COVID in New York City and I was happy to see that the New York Times did no bit for him so you know although he's passed on and um, we still have that blood sucking freaks episode and I'm eternally grateful for him taking the time to talk to us about a film that most people write off as just horrible. We just had Neil Innes' birthday the other day, and when I spoke with him two years ago, I mean, he sounded just so full of energy, and it's just amazing how quickly things happen to be like, oh yeah, he passed away last year, and it's like, that doesn't seem possible to me. Well, there's one guy who was on an episode with us, who said, call me back in 10 years. And that was Jean-Claude Carrier, who worked with Bunuel. As far as I know, he's still living. And I think we've got another three years, four years, maybe. So um, hopefully he makes it. Then I'll call him. I need to get back with him. Thank you for the reminder, because I want to do an episode about a film that he wrote uh, called Dorothea's Revenge. And I mean, the guy's written what? Well over a hundred films. And I reached out to him and he was like, oh yeah, sure. Anytime you want, just let me know. And it's so nice that he answers his own emails and he's usually like super quick about it. Just, oh yeah, yeah. Any, anytime you want to talk about it, you just let me know. That was the thing. And I know we're probably going to get to that in a minute, but I'll preface this as we get into the next question from one of your, uh, one of the listeners is that that to me was like a dream podcast. Like that was a dream interview because I got to talk to this guy whose work I've loved for, you know, 20 years or more. Just fantastic. And like you said, just the, the amount of work that he's done, you can find something in there and go, holy shit, I can't believe it. So Darren Williams wrote in and says, who 
would be your dream guest for the podcast. And I'm going to put a preface on this and say, give me living and give me, sadly, no longer with us. As far as living, I would love to talk to Martin Scorsese sometime. I think that would be really fun. He just has such a passion. I would love to just pick his brain about things because I doubt that there would be a movie I could bring up where he wouldn't have something to say about it. I've been trying to get interviews with Ron Perlman, Steve Buscemi, and William Peterson for a long time. And I mean, I would love to talk to Perlman sometime. I think that he would just be fantastic and love seeing his tweets. I think he's uh, hilarious. He just bags on people all the time on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I would love to, to talk about his career because I find his career is so fascinating. That that intersection of him and Guillermo del Toro, it was just like, wow, how did this happen? And it just seemed to change the whole direction of his career. The thing that's funny is when he f- started to do films like Hellboy and work with Guillermo del Toro, I thought, Really? The guy who played Beast in the Beauty and the Beast TV show that my oh, yeah. mom used to watch? I'm like, that guy? And then I saw, um, uh, is it Drive? Is it, it's him and Albert Brooks? And I saw him in that. It was like, I just want to see a movie of those two guys. Oh, God. Albert Brooks would be another one. Can you imagine talking with him? I've wanted to do real life as an episode for many years because what's fascinating about Albert Brooks's real life is that it was, it, it was a reaction to an American family, which was kind of the first reality TV show that PBS actually did in the seventies. And then now you look at it that through the lens of real life and then reality TV, as we know it today and the reality president that we have, it's kind of prescient the way that um, Albert Brooks works in, in real life. But, you know, in that film, I mean, not real life as real life as Albert Brooks, but real life, the film. So anyway, I mean, it's such an amazing film and he's a fantastic uh, filmmaker. So if you can ever get him, let me know. Okay, we'll do. As for uh, dream guest who uh, sadly is no longer with us. Gosh, that's that's a good one. I never have thought about that because I've never. I mean, you can't. So why bother thinking about it? Right. <laughs> Had I had my druthers when we did the contact episode, I would have loved to have talked to Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan was such a hero of mine growing up. I loved Cosmos so much. I kind of got into science a little bit because of him. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have talked to Carl Sagan. I think that would he would have been my dream interview of someone who's dead. Sounds good. I like that one. Darren Williams also asks, number two, would you ever do a full-on list show as a bonus episode? So, like, run down your top 50 or 100 films. No. That's it? Just no? Yeah, just no. Yeah, you notice this list? I'm always making lists. All right. In fact, that's probably why Steven Spielberg cast me as Oscar Schindler, Schindler's List. I said, Steven, I make lists all the time. And he said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I write lists all the time, but I don't do rankings of stuff i try to find the connections of things so like looking at uh, talking genital movies and like trying to figure out more talking genital films and like getting those grouped together those are the kind of lists i make i don't usually do like a lot of rankings of stuff i'm not a big fan of high fidelity 
And I'm not a big fan of the guy who has to make rankings of things all the time. There are people that do that, and there are people that do it way better than me. And I would be like Oscar Schindler going, wait, 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 no, I need one more. I need one more. Let me fit in one more thing. Oh, wait, I changed my mind. This shouldn't be number 98. It should be off the list. I could never be satisfied trying to do a list like that. No, no on the list of Mike White's top 50 films of all time that you need to see before you're no longer with us. 1,000 movies you have to see. These are my top 10 Aussie exploitation films. I guess that's another thing, too, is that seeing Tarantino in that um, not quite Hollywood or something. Yeah, something like that. And it was like every time they would cut to him, he'd be like, oh, this is my favorite film that has marsupials in the title or whatever. It's just like, okay, gosh, you can't have all of these can't be your favorites. You really need to be a little bit more selective. This is my sixth favorite film of all time from May of 1974. There was like 10 movies that came out in that month. And this is the sixth best one. You know, like, 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 don't understand how, how far do you want to break it down? You know, because I was thinking you could do like a, you know, I'm, there's not a lot of them. So I'm sure you could do like, you know, a top 10 of talking genital films. Chatterbox is pretty close to the top. You are about to see scenes from a serious movie that depicts one of the most amazing medical discoveries in the history of the world. Whatever you do, don't laugh. Well, what would you do if your m- could all of a sudden start to talk and sing? I will never understand women. I have a m- that can talk. She has a beautiful voice. Written in, I would rather remain anonymous. Okay, anonymous. Probably that guy with the mask, huh? Hello, Mr. White, and congratulations on nearing 500 episodes at last. I wanted to take the time to thank you for your work online and your output of the Projection Booth podcast. I think I learned a lot from you guys, your special guests, and maybe appreciate certain obscure gems I otherwise wouldn't have known about. I've been following the Projection Booth podcast since the episode that you did on Batman Returns, and since then, it's been a total blast for the most part, but I can't help myself from asking a few questions that have me scratch my head in confusion about the site, so here it goes. Whatever happened to your first co-host, Mondo Justin? Just before uh, 2012 or so, you guys had a falling out, or you just called it quits, or was it this you two just wanted to go your separate ways online and in life? I think it was more the separate ways thing. I'm actually hoping to talk to Mondo Justin for this 10th anniversary thing, and I can ask him what happened on there. But yeah, I think it was more the the just going our separate ways. He actually started his own podcast, which he did for a little while. And yeah, now he's uh, working for the Norman Mailer estate. He did a 10-hour podcast. Talk about putting me to shame. 10-hour podcast on Tough Guys Don't Dance. And I think through all of his work that he did on that, he uh, ended up getting in contact with the Mailer estate and now works for those guys. And he's writing a book about Mailer, or he wrote a book about Mailer, and he's writing a book about Frank Perry. So the last time you might have heard Mondo on the program was when we did The Swimmer, and he was a uh, an interview on that, and that was one that you were on, Rob. It was like the whole world just all coming together, all the old co-hosts. It was kind of like those Doctor Who specials where you get the old doctors in there. Since he brought up that transition, you know, like what happened with him, uh, I remember that when he left was when I first started coming in. 
And then you had a series of different, it was like each week you had a different host. And then, uh, eventually it was like, it was kind of like, I guess, um, going to Buckingham Palace and being knighted or, um, you know, the bachelor or something where they give you the rose or, you know, and it was like, I pick you, would you, would you do me the honor of being your co-host? So, um, so I, I, I was like Sammy Hagar. Mondo Justin was David Lee. And there's definite fans of him. And then I came in and then people like me and uh, you haven't had uh, a Gary Sharon. So that's good. That was a terrible, it was a terrible era for uh, Van Halen. And most people forget. It. And rightly so. Number two from Mr. Anonymous. I was wondering if more Alan Parker films, given his untimely passing a few months ago, would be in consideration for future episodes other than Evita, of course. Uh, things like Angel Heart or even Pink Floyd, The Wall. Any interest in those? I forgot about this question. Um, gentleman who wrote, oh, what was his connection? There was somebody I talked to who actually had a big engagement with Angel Heart. Uh, William Hortzberg, I believe, was the gentleman's name. And he actually passed away recently as well. I would have liked to have talked to him about that if we were going to do it. I was trying to actually interview Alan Parker for Evita and yeah, that was right around the time that he passed away. Long story short, I don't really like Angel Heart, and I don't really like some people who like Pink Floyd's The Wall. I like The Wall, but some folks kind of take it a little too far. Not in 2021, but I, I know for sure Jedediah Ayers would jump at the chance to talk about Angel Heart, and maybe I'll give it another shot, because when I saw it the first time, fucking hated that movie and sometimes you know i was however old when that movie came out saw it on hbo or something i was probably way too young to see it i was mostly there for lisa bonet who wasn't in that period there was blood on her butt uh yes that was a thing that was 87 so i was 15 years old when that came out and yeah, that was William Hortzberg who wrote the novel. And yes, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to him about a movie, or sorry, about a book that he wrote about Richard Brodigan. And it was one of those like, hey, I can't wait to have you back on the show and talk about things. And now he's no longer with us. It's sad. There's, you know, especially considering that a lot of the, the films that I, I would say you're interested in, I definitely know I'm interested in, are now almost 50 years old, if not more so. If you ever listen to an episode and you wonder why, hmm, I wonder why that person isn't on there. Sometimes we have, um, the, you got people who've written books about films or about filmmakers or writers or producers or something. And they end up having to be the stand in. Not that there's anything wrong with that. A lot of those people are very competent and know quite a bit. Uh, in the case of, I remember, uh, I believe it was Bob Whitey talking about the Marx brothers when we did the uh, duck soup episode. If you can't get the Marx brothers, you go to the guy who, who literally wrote the book on them. Exactly. Or made the documentary. Uh, number three from Mr. Anonymous. If I want to suggest an episode now that's only done exclusively through Patreon and no more suggestions are being taken into consideration unless they go through Patreon. So I guess the question he's asking is, if I want to make a suggestion, do I have to be a Patreon member? Is that how it works? Yes. Keeps the riffraff out. I like that. <laughs> 
Well, we used to have a suggestion box on the site, and some joker thought it would be very funny to go in there and just put in, like, uh, that I'm a cuck snowflake and that uh, Trump is going to win the next four presidential elections. And I was getting emails every single day. And they would be out of context. Apparently, they were listening to something, listening to the projection booth and making comments through the suggestion box. And I would get these weird things of like, well, this is never going to happen. And I'm like, what the hell are you even talking about? So that's that's what that was the turd in the punch bowl. That's why I took down the suggestion box on the site, as well as like there was another version that was all run through PHP and uh, the server upgraded. And I don't know how to write PHP 7.2. I only know PHP, like, I don't know, 5.4 or something. So eventually I'll learn the new version of PHP and be able to put together something again. But yeah, for now, I mean, people still send me shit all the time. It's just like, hey, you should cover this. You should cover this. It's like, okay, yeah, if that sounds interesting, I'll put it on the list. You know about the list, Rob. It's ever growing. There's always stuff on there. So yeah, eventually I might get to it. I don't know, as long as it's something that sounds interesting. But yeah, if you want to officially suggest something, if you if you want to sit me down and say, Mike, I really want you to cover this, then go out there to Patreon, pay you $20, and support me, and then, yeah, I'll talk about the movie. So we've got a couple uh, episodes coming up in 2021 where it is exclusively Patreon funded, and here you go. That's why I'm talking about this movie, this movie, this movie. People will be happy. They, they, they paid the money. Now they get their service. Well, I'm going to raise my hand and tell you, even though I don't listen to every episode and even though I haven't been on all that often as of late, I am a Patreon uh, supporter. And you are a college student and you're still paying. You and there's like a few other people on there where I'm just like, you don't you shouldn't be paying me money. Stop it. You're, you need to pay for school. For me, the entire concept behind uh, making sure that I pay uh, to become a Patreon member of the Projection Booth is the reason why I never liked being on the list for my friends' bands. And what I mean by that is, is that if my friends play at the bar and it costs me, I don't know, five bucks, ten bucks to get in, I tell them, don't put me on the list, even though I'm a journalist or anything like that, uh, even though I'm your friend, because it is my way of putting a marker down and supporting the things that I care about. Because if you don't support the things that you care about and the things that you like, you just won't have them because there will come a time when people go, you know what? It's not worth doing this. You know, why am I, you know, in the case of a band, why am I loading up my car and driving to the bar to play for basically more people on stage than there are watching me or uh, there's no money to be made from doing this. So uh, not saying you're going to retire from it, but it's an, I always believe that, you know, you should pay for the things that, that you like and the things that you care about because one day you'll turn around and they just won't be there. That's a great analogy. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about Patreon is how do you like it? Do you think it's a good platform for, for creators and people that want to do things or do you find it to be kind of a pain in the ass? The interface sucks. I really think that the usability of Patreon is not good. Patronize, I'm, I'm very patronizing. You know that. I patronize people as well as I am a patron of people as well as I am a creator. Beecher and the creator will become one. And who is the creator? The creator is that which created Beecher. Who is Beecher? Beecher is that which seeks the creator. 
it is very difficult to navigate the site as being two things in one account. So like the other day I was trying to figure out where the RSS feed is because I wanted to copy the RSS feed. Because if you're a Patreon subscriber, you don't have to go out to iTunes or Stitcher or any of these other places and subscribe that way. There's a separate RSS feed that you can go into your favorite podcatcher and put that in there. You're going to get episodes early and you're going to get them without the that Starbucks ad that you're talking about cutting into the middle of our conversation. You're going to get just the, here's uh, the After Movie Diner yeah, here's the uh, Adam and Eve ad, like those kind of things, but you don't get like all of the the noise that you would get via other ways. So I'm trying to find that thing, and it took me forever. And I don't know if I ever even did find the RSS feed. So as a usability person, I, I, I find some of those things frustrating. Otherwise, it's okay. They take too much money from people. I don't appreciate that either. They are doing a thing now where you can pay ahead. You can subscribe for a year, and they'll you get a discount. I think like 10 15%, something like that. So that's cool. But right now, as far as I know, I think that's the only game out there other than OnlyFans. And people don't want to see me naked. How do you know? Oh, trust me, I know. I have been close to you. Never in any form of undress, but... Um... You ever seen a grown man naked? You ever hang around a gymnasium? You like gladiator movies, Rob? You a whole month about gladiator films. <laughs> Are you more of a stone or a sponge? Do you consider the eating of oysters to be moral and the eating of snails to be immoral? Mr. Anonymous, number four. And lastly, if I ever begin a podcast on movies like you do, what's the best advice you could give if I ever wanted to try this for real? It's doubtful I get the guests that you do, but generally speaking, what are some of the secrets to leading an engaging movie-oriented podcast or blog at its best? Can you know some of that be applied to your YouTube channel as well? I mean, in terms of structure and presentation. I don't know about YouTube. I try to put stuff up on YouTube and people just complain, where's the video? <laughs> or it gets flagged as being inappropriate for children or it gets flagged as uh, intellectual property because there's a snippet of a song or a full song inside of it. So I don't go near YouTube. I try not to. If you ever want to start a podcast, just fucking do it. I don't have a lot of advice for people just other than try to make it different than other things. You know, I think I've told this story before. I, I, I'm pretty sure I told you, Rob, when, when we first started up the podcast, I made a list of like all the things I didn't like about other movie podcasts and said, we're not going to do this and have held to that. So that's why not every episode begins with 20 minutes of, so what'd you watch this week? Then eventually you get to the movie. No, that's why we start with the preview. Here's the movie. Here's the description. Here's the discussion, and let's go. It's not like, what are they even talking about? I don't even understand what this episode is about. One of the things that I I think some listeners may not understand uh, philosophically beyond the, uh, the Fight Club rule that I helped institute is I remember having a conversation with you, and I think you had said to me, I would like these podcasts to be like the 33rd and a third or the 33 and a third book series. And people who aren't hip to what that is, that is um, a whole series of books that's just one album, and it's written by one writer, and there's sort of a timeless quality to the book. And what I, what I mean by that is they've written a book 
about that one album and you could read it now or you could read it 10 years from now and it would probably still hold up. Now, granted, there's new information that comes out. There's different things that happen. Yeah. But the first chapter isn't about like um, in, in the case of where I'm talking about a film podcast, what you saw at the theater that week. Because if you were to go, you know, one of the things that I really love about the projection booth is if I don't listen to that episode right now, I know I can listen to it a couple of months from now or a year from now, or I can go back 10 years to your first episodes and listen to those. And they still hold up because you're not talking about topical things. You're not talking about the things that we're doing in this moment. You're talking about this piece of art in its own um, and it lives in its own sort of bubble in its own time. 33 and a third is a perfect example. Uh, the books that like the BFI does or devil's advocates or constellations like those little books where it's like, here you go. The cultography type of books where it's like, this is this thing. Here's its influences. Here's what it influenced. Here's where it was in time and trying to dig into that as much as possible. Like I'm hoping that, we're not the the small books, but more like the thicker books if possible. But I don't want like the doorstops. Mr. Anonymous closes off by saying, I'm a newbie at this. So excuse my relative unawareness on that last question. But in closing, my favorite episodes are Once Upon a Time in the West, Batman Returns, Apocalypse Now, Blue Velvet, and Blade Runner. So there you have it. And again, congratulations on reaching 500 episodes and here to 500 more. And good luck on um, the next few that come in the near future. You're going to need it. Well, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? Are you sure this isn't the guy who was spamming you through the uh, suggestions? Long time listener, first time caller. I'm a bit of a ditto head. I, I'm pretty sure that's not him because he didn't call me a cuck snowflake, you know, which is just ironic because I think we found out who the true snoof snowflakes really are. Living up in the mountains like I used to, a snowflake is a very delicate thing. But when they all get together, avalanches are nasty. <laughs> Just be mindful. As for that, I think I was able to weave in the questions I had for you, along with the questions that you got for the readers, the, not the, um, the the people that type them in. I'm, I'm sure maybe you have a few that uh, people use that, that new technology and sent you voicemails or, or things like that, but... I just want to say, sir, thank you again. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to, to catch up with you. And thank you for letting me be part of this um, institution, a mental institution, but an institution nonetheless, that has uh, existed for uh, almost a decade now. So congrats to you. Well, thank you, sir. And yeah, you are welcome back anytime. I'm looking forward to talking to you in 2021 and hopefully even more than that in 2022. And good luck with you and good luck with all the, the stuff that you're working on. You've got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, that's the thing with me. I always have to be working on something because if I don't, then the, um, how would you say, uh, the, the existentialism kind of creeps in and I, I realize the reality of what we live in. And then I go, eh. I think that's maybe why I do so much on the podcast is just to keep my mind off of other things. So to those folks out there who can relax and en enjoy their lives, I salute you and hope maybe one day I can join the ranks of you as well.
right, we are back. And thank you so much to Rob. Always good to talk with him. Always good to connect with folks that you haven't talked to in a long time. Speaking of that, I don't think I should delay this one any longer. Let's go ahead. We're going to check in with Justin Bozung, who, as many folks know, he was Mondo Justin, probably still is Mondo Justin, and he was the first co-host of the show. Let's hear what's been going on with him since he left the show, as well as his memories of when we first started the projection booth just about 10 years ago. I want to ask you what projects you're working on, but I know sometimes people don't feel comfortable unless something is like actually already done. Can you tell me some of the stuff that you're working on? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, nothing's much changed for me, really. I just, uh, I, you know, for many years now, I guess, I've been in the uh, throes of finishing my book about Frank Perry. It's real close. It's just um, basically I kind of struggle the, with the, the, the element of turning over new research and integrating that and also in doing rewrites and, and, and satisfying my OCD. And, you know, it's the way I look at it is just like there's only one opportunity to kind of to kind of nail it. Right. And I just want to get it right. Like I, um, you know, the last book I worked on, the Norman Mailer book, I, you know, I did, you know, it's a it's a collection of of essays, but about one hundred and. 70,000 words and uh, 40, like 45,000 of those words were mine. And, and Mailer had some work in there too. And his were about uh, 35,000, right? So that, 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 t- that tells you exactly how much was kind of in there. And, and you know, looking back at that, I, you know, I, I read what I, I wrote and I'm still pretty happy with it. But ultimately, there's just some things in there that I just didn't like that I should have expanded on, should have said a little bit clearer, should have. Uh, tighten the metaphor up a little bit. So just you know, so I just don't want that to happen again. Basically, to me, it's not like it's. I mean, I'm sure no writer is ultimately ever happy with what they write in retrospect. But I don't know. There's just some things that I, I want to make perfect. If that's that's not really possible, but I mean, at least as perfect in my head as it can be. And and I'm always turning over new material. So um, you know, especially with the age in the age of COVID, it's been quite a challenge because. I had some research trips planned this year uh, to go do some kind of last-minute research out west, and that's sort of been, of course, nixed. And I had I had supposed to go up to New York again and go back to uh, work in the archives, and those were all nixed because of COVID. So that's really putting a damper on me. I, you know, I've been fortunate though that I, you know, it's taken some time, but uh, the blessing out of it is, in fact, that if I had hurried through it. I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities that have come subsequent to me delaying things like, um, you know, finding Frank Perry's first major, you know, his first serious girlfriend and finding her and talking to her, you know, 90 year old woman who's blind now and lives in Arizona. And, and at one point was good friends with William Burroughs and and knew all the beats and all this stuff and, and that, and, you know, be befriending uh, Eleanor Perry's family and then finally giving me the, um, instilling me trust, right? Where, you know, back in, I guess it was June, I, you know, heard the FedEx guy come to the door and went up to the door and there was a giant box on the porch and I opened it up and it was just stacks and stacks of, of materials related to Eleanor from her family, like pictures and scripts and, um, you know, like even her original, uh, like college thesis was in there <laughs> and, uh, a rough draft of, um, a biography that her son was actually in the process of working on about her 
that he eventually abandoned. And so just all this stuff that, you know, I got to catalog that. I got to go through it. I got to think about how it fits in the thing, what's important, what's not. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just quite a task. It's just it's way the state of the book is way beyond what I definitely ever envisioned it to be. You know, who would have knew five, six, seven years ago when I started it that I'd actually had been able to track down, um, you know, Frank Perry's, Frank Perry's uh, army buddies from this time he served in Korea that are still alive and talk to them and his girlfriend and his family and get his military record from the government and get his college transcripts. And, you know, it, I, it's crazy. I've done, you know, like 170 hours of interviews with people now. So it's just it's kind of it's going through those, making sure my eyes are dotted and my T's are crossed to my satisfaction uh, as well. I, I'm sure that a lot of folks are uh, interested in. I know a lot of folks are interested in Frank. You know, the the interest has definitely been building up over the last few years. But you know, especially we just had a couple of Frank's films finally come to DVD and Blu-ray for the first time, and which is great. And I'm tickled that those are are out. Uh, they definitely deserve to be seen. Um, so yeah, but I just I've got to do I've got to satisfy my own uh, instincts and and desires for this project before I can you know fulfill anyone else's. Now you're talking about your Norman Mailer book, and you're working for what is it, the Norman Mailer Foundation? There's the Norman Mailer Estate, which is uh, so basically yeah. So the Mailer family. They actually sold off uh, almost all of Norman's writings to Random House a few years ago. So they don't even own Mailer's writings anymore, per se. There's a few of them that are kind of floating in various other ownership. But um, So there's the, there's the Mailer estate, which is run by his oldest uh, son and his oldest daughter, Michael and Susan. And so basically they kind of oversee uh, with a kind of charter group of um, – board members like you know what kind of happens right so it's like well what do we want you know and they'll work with random house right so it's like they random house will say like we want to put out for i think it was last year they put out a, a anniversary edition of mailer's why are we in vietnam book because they saw this these intense parallels between what was uh and and miami in the siege of chicago and the armies of the night they saw these intense parallels between um you know the protests that were going on in washington and everywhere else with what was occurring in the 60s right and so, you know, that was the, a big project because then they had, you know, some some scholar, new scholarship, write new forwards and stuff. And then that actually um, – so that's tied in with the Norman Mailer Society, which is also a, it's a collection of university-based, mostly university-based scholars uh, with an extreme interest in Norman Mailer studies. And so that, you know, that's comprised of uh, – uh, mainly teachers from various universities around the United States, but also, uh, you know, in that is a former, you know, governor of Hawaii. And there's some famous, famous folks in it. A guy used to produce the Dick Cavett show. And there's kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of people that are kind of mailer stalwarts these days. So uh, basically what I do is um, I got involved with that back in 2014. And uh, so it just kind of led basically from me having an interest in it to doing some work, did a podcast about one of Mailer's movies. Uh, that led to me uh, going to Wilkes uh, University in Pennsylvania to give like a little lecture on Mailer's movies. And then from there, that led to them offering me uh, kind of a part-time gig to basically be like an archivist for their AV stuff because there's like hundreds and hundreds of hours of Mailer audio and video 
that was kind of just sitting sitting around. So um, started working on that. Where basically started cataloging things and transcribing things and um, breaking that up, put it in the cloud, using you know serving it to people in Mailer studies who have an interest in a particular topic that don't know where to look for research. Um, so then, you know, every year it leads to me also giving a presentation, you know, on Mailer for like, you know, like 2015, I think I did Mailer and Picasso and, and I did, uh, some things on the movies. And I mean, it's just kind of every year oh, with the exception of the last couple of years, I haven't, I haven't gone, but, um, obviously cause of COVID this year, but, uh, it was a virtual thing, but I just didn't really want to do it. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that kind of led to that, and uh, that's of course led to um, all Mailer's kids are interested in film and television studies or film and television in general. Uh, Michael Mailer, Norman's oldest son, he is used to be kind of uh, really close uh, with uh, James Toback, and uh, so they produced some films together, and he's got a good working relationship with Alec Baldwin. And John Buffalo Mailer, Mailer's youngest son, who's actually uh, my age, uh, he's become quite a accomplished uh, writer, playwright, screenwriter. He's written some film, some some films, and also he's been an actor. He was in, uh, I think he was uh, Oliver. He was Shia LaBeouf's uh, buddy in the Wall Street sequel by Oliver Stone, and he also. Um, uh, Matthew Barney, the Cram, the Cram Master Cycle. So Matthew Barney made this uh, amazing film. I, I mean, if you get a chance to see it, you should definitely see it. It's, uh, anyways, it was a like a six-hour uh, adaptation of Mailer's uh, Egyptian novel called Ancient Evenings. It was um, never released theatrically. Of course, you had to go to the museum to see it in a limited time. But so John Buffalo Mailer plays Norman in the movie. And it's it's an ama- it's basically like an opera, it, but there's kind of so it's Mailer's book, which you know Barney sees as analogous to um, uh, the creation of Detroit <laughs> and, and with the auto industry. And so he's Barney spent a lot of time uh, in Detroit shooting sections of it. He spent some time in L.A. filming there too. But I, I saw it, I guess, back in. 15 i saw it at uh i went to a private screening with barney the producer and the mailer family and it was just like a i mean it was like a mind blower it was like the, i think it might be the greatest movie i've ever seen i was just i couldn't i was like i couldn't believe what i saw i like sat there and watched the whole six hours it was just it was just a mind fuck it was amazing so yeah so then that led to me of course being asked to uh assemble and create the the book about mailer's films uh, the first book ever about his films and probably the last book about his films. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of uh, that kind of what, what happened there. Well, you mentioned the podcast, and I'm not sure how many of the listeners realize that after you did the projection booth, you did your own podcast for a while. And some people are just like, oh, seven-hour podcast on Conan, that's amazing. But you did what? Ten hour podcast on Tough Guys Don't Dance. Twelve, twelve hours. Twelve hours. Yeah. Holy shit. Twelve hours. Yeah, and I, ex- I expanded it at one point. I think maybe the first the first release was ten and a half hours, and then um, subsequently I added another hour and a half later because I did that, and then I kind of got bored with it, and so then I kind of pulled it, and then the mailer uh, the mailer family asked for me to include it in their permanent uh, collection kind of thing, so. 
uh, one of the guys that works on the digital side, the back end of like the, the website design and stuff, decided to uh, we wanted to host that stuff over on archive.org because the whole intention with that was, you know, in the world of academics, it's like, you know, a lot of stuff is behind a paywall. And so one of the ideas in the mailer thing is like they want people to not, you know, they want people to see this stuff. They want people to have access to research. So, you know, future scholarship can continue because, you know, frankly, mailers not being read or studied or taught in high, in college. So, you know, they thought it'd be great as a teaching tool to have that um, available. So they, I gave that to them and they, they're featuring it uh, on their channel on the archive.org site or whatever. But um, yeah, I did the 10 and a half hours. And then as a, once I got into the archives, I found a tape of um, a 90 minute, well, yeah, I think nine, 60, 80, 90 minute tape of Mailer uh, press conference that was recorded at the, at the Cannes Film Festival when, when Tough Guys Don't Dance. Uh, it premiered there out of competition in 87. And even Mailer was on the panel that year. But so there was a, a panel uh, with the French press. Uh, it was Mailer, the actress Deborah Sandlin, Tom Luddy, and a couple other people from the movie. But I can't remember now. But anyway, so I just tacked that on to the back of the podcast. They said I could do it. So, yeah, I made it, I think, over 12, 12 hours in total. Wow, that is crazy. Tell me more about the podcast, because I don't think it went on for too long, but the episodes that you did were fantastic. I remember that, of course. And then you did, what was it, Strawberry Statement? So the first one I did, I think, uh, I did the Jerry Lewis series, I think was the first one. I think. No, you're right. The first series was the Kim Darby series, which I did uh, an episode on Strawberry Statement, Grissom Gang, uh, the one and only, uh, and then don't be afraid of the dark. Uh, and then I did Jerry Lewis series and then I kicked over and did a Norman Mailer series. Uh, and then I had plans to do some other ones. I was going to do, we were going to do a, a big multi-hour thing on Blake Edwards is 10 and, um, skin deep and, uh, 2001. And we were going to do, um, that ninth configuration and, Somewhere in time, <laughs> we had a bunch of yeah, we had a bunch of uh, ideas we were going to kick together, and I don't know, just you know, I just got to a point where I had to decide whether I wanted to try to take writing more seriously, or or, or you know, I couldn't, I just it was too hard for me to juggle uh, writing and trying to podcast and and trying to contribute magazine articles to you know like places like Shock Cinema and stuff. So it's like basically just gave up podcasting. Gave up all them. Gave up trying to write for magazines and just focused on um, the stuff that I wanted to do solely. If memory serves, I was the one who didn't want to get into podcasting, and you were the one that had to convince me. See, I don't remember it that way at all. <laughs> really? What What are your memories? Tell me what you remember, because because I, I I find that I'm my my own worst censor, and that I, I tend to shape my memories the way that makes sense to me. I feel like it was you who suggested it, and I feel like, but you may have just suggested it kind of at a, on a whim, right? I feel like you, because you know, we we met, and um, I had a website at the time, and you had just released your anthology, and you contacted me and said, "Hey, I really like your website. Uh, it's not like a, a usual website that has kind of like the latest." bullshit news on it about movies or whatever it's like yes it's dedicated to genre or whatever but like you're focused more on like retrospective pieces so it's like i want to see if you review my book or whatever 
And I was like, yeah, I would love to do that. I definitely know who you are. I'm familiar with your work and um, I'd love to do that. And we both discovered we lived in the Metro Detroit area at the time. And so we met up for um, lunch at a pizza place, I think it was, and exchanged pleasantries and talked and chatted. And I got the book and we became friends and and uh, we hung out a few times. And then we decided that we were going to go to – the B movie festival in Franklin, Indiana. Uh, we drove down there in your car. Cause at the time I remember I had no job and I had a shitty car. I just remember having great conversations all the way down there. I remember being blown away by kind of the, the, uh, Bible belt, uh, all the Bible belt, uh, architecture and sculpture in the air everywhere we went as we descended in deep into the heart of Indiana. And, um, yeah. And I feel like on the way back, because uh, it was such a great weekend. We had such a good time. We saw a lot of great films, had some fun experiences. We saw Rocky Horror at the drive-in, saw Nomads at the drive-in. And I feel like on the way back, you were like, yeah, you know, we should, you know, I, I, you're, listen to podcasts. And I don't know, I kind of took that as your hint that maybe you're interested in starting a podcast. Because I didn't necessarily have too much. I didn't have really have any aspirations of that at the time. But I just said, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess at that point in my head, I had already kind of in, kind of thought about it, but I hadn't, didn't know where to start, I guess. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, but I feel like it was you were, who were, you were the catalyst to, to sort of jumpstart and get it going. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I remember so much of that, but I thought it was you like going like, we could do this. We could do this way better than these jokers. Cause I think we were listening some, to some podcasts yeah. on the way and you're just like, Oh, we, we, we should do this. I thought that yeah, was think, you. Well, I think that was a conversation we had too, but I feel like it was like, I think more of that was a criticism we both expressed. Right. Cause I feel like I was like, yeah, this, I don't listen to podcasts cause I'm just like, can't stand them. <laughs> right. Right. And I feel like you you were like, well, I like podcasts, but like, yeah, I feel like I don't like a lot of people that are that host podcasts. And so I think it was, yes, I think it was a mutual, like, yeah, we could totally do this better. You set the bar by like the first episode we did, you managed to get Richard Rush and Steve Rails back. Well, I was also a kind of, a, I was, I feel like I was kind of a control freak at that point too. Well, I, feel, I don't know. Like, yes, I feel like, Mike White is the projection booth. Like there's no if ands, or buts about that, right? Like you are the you're the founding member and that name, that brand is forever going to be associated with your name forever. You're the backbone, the heart and soul of the projection booth. But I feel like my contribution, if I had any true contribution, was the fact that I was the one that that sort of um came up with the idea to put interviews or, or approach the people aggressively to put interviews in it. Cause I feel like at first you were like, yeah, I want to do interviews, but like we should not do an interview like every episode. We should just kind of do it every other. And I feel like the fact that I went out and got Richard brush and rails back, that was the point that I feel like that was when we both kind of looked at each other, I think. And said so like, yeah, we could definitely do this every week if it's really this easy. And then what second episode you managed to track down Tobar Mayo. It's like who else interviews Tobar Mayo. It could have been like, just two a-holes sitting around talking right. about movies, but then you're like, yeah, no, let's put these interviews in here. And then suddenly it goes from two a-holes talking about movies to, to two a-holes talking about movies with these wonderful interviews in the middle of it, where it's like, who has ever heard from Tobar Mayo about Abar, the first black Superman? What kind of set us apart from 
any other podcast was that we were a focusing on uh, a more kind of succinct specialty cinema, right? Yes. There, there's a genre cinema, there's cult cinema, but we were like deep in the trenches, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you've done the research, but I, I can't imagine there's many podcasts out there in the ether that have covered a, a bar, the, the black Superman. I mean, yeah, stunt man. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, uh, the warriors fine, but a bar, come on. I mean, we've got to be one of the first, if, if not, maybe just a handful out in the internet, uh, world that, uh, that's done that. So yeah, I mean, you know, it was always fun because it was, it was like a challenge every time. I feel like every week was a challenge in the sense that we had to track down these people, right. That we didn't know where in the hell they were, if we could even get in touch with them. Right. So, I mean, not that it's a secret, but I mean, we, you know, we, we relied a lot on even before social media. I think we relied more on like IMDB an IMD pro account, right. That was our, our bread and butter in terms of getting, uh, contacts with someone. Right. I mean, these days, like I can't even tell you the last time I've been on IMDb, there's way more easier ways to find people. <laughs> Back then, it was like the only thing we knew, right? So that's what we did. So it was a miracle that you know someone like I think I don't remember if Tobar Mayo was actually on IMDb, but I do remember specifically that Richard Rush's phone number was on IMDb Pro. You could just call him up. So I just called him up, right? <laughs> you also set that bar as far as. We're not just going to have one interview. You know, of course, the first episode we had two interviews, but then I can't remember. It was like not even the 10th or 11th episode. And you were just like, we're going to do Freaked. And you end up getting like Alex Winter, Tom Stern, Megan Ward, uh, Lean Arnberg, uh, Tim Burns. I mean, it's just like, here's this huge thing about Freaked. And again, this is like 2011 when you're doing this. And it's before, like, now everybody's just like, oh, yeah, Freaked. It's fantastic. But back then, it was just like, what is this movie? And you're getting all of these people to talk about it. Well, I think that's one of the things that we found that we had in common right away was we, we did like, a, you know, 95% of the same movies. And so I think it made it easier, easy for us. And plus, we also worked under the guise of, uh, uh, you know, this week is your turn. Next week is your turn, right? This week is Justin's turn to pick the movie, et cetera. And so with, I mean, that with freak, that was an easy one because I had actually been friends with this. I don't, I can't remember his last name now, but his name was bill. Um, anyways, he's like the guy that now today, he's like the guy who started the uh, whole, uh, days of the dead horror conventions that are all over the country. Uh, his name was like bill, uh, Phil, Phil Putt or something. I, I don't remember. But anyways, so I was kind of uh, an, an acquaintance of his and I basically traded him because I had this uh, spreadsheet of contacts. Like I, you know, I had like, I don't remember, like Rich Steve Railsback or Richard Rush. I had their contacts and I was like, if you can put me in touch with Alex Winter, um, you know, then I'll trade you this contact or whatever. And so he said, sure. And so like, um, yeah, so I got Alex, and of course through Alex Winter, I got Tim and Tom, and then as luck would have it, Lee Ehrenberg was in Detroit that month for a comic convention, and I think the only challenge, challenging one was Megan Ward. That was the one I kind of had to sweet talk her uh, agent or whatever into allowing it. But as with anything, as you and you can attest to that too, is once you have an X number of people on board, the other people kind of fall into place fairly easy. The thing that I felt kind of bad about back then was like that I felt like I always had better luck than you 
getting those people right like i was like because i remember like you know i got all those free people then it's like i remember you wanted to do dune so bad and it's like i wanted to do dune so bad because i love dune but it's like we had no luck getting anyone right i can remember uh, specifically at that time working with you to try to get people to come on dune, the dune show and i even remember like at the time i was working uh at this internet company and i remember driving home uh at night in the winter getting a call on my phone from david lynch's i don't know maybe it was like a pr person or something and i remember like talking to this gal like telling her all about like what we wanted to do and how what rabid crazy fans we were of dune and like she was like yeah she's like you know you sound really sincere normally david would be happy to do this but it's dune and he just doesn't like to talk about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so yeah. So, but I, I just felt like you had the, the films you picked were, I mean, they're, they're all great films, but I feel like the thing that kind of gave me the edge was I picked more, uh, uh, I guess more, uh, accessible people. <laughs> like you knew damn well, you weren't going to get Peter Weller for Robo, the Robocop episode, right? You knew you were going to get that. You know, you weren't going to get uh Chow Yun fat for, uh, the killer, you know, things like that. It just wasn't going to happen. Right. That caused me to look outside of that. So having like the writers or whatever, just like this guy wrote a book about John Woo. So we'll talk with him instead. But yeah, it would have been great to have John Woo on the killer episode. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I learned. That's one thing I've learned over the years, you know, since I, since I left the projection booth was that sometimes those people, you know, like the, the assistant, uh, director or the, uh, the, the focus puller or the grip or, uh, you know, the, the wardrobe person, those people have not just great stories, but better stories than the people like the director or an actor or a cinematographer, right? I, I found that those people can actually give you a whole lot of insights into the production of things when you're least expecting it, right? Because you might not think that, you know, the wardrobe person might have a lot of insights into whatever, but they actually can if you if you hit the right person in the right movie. Now, you mentioned 2001. You were working on the 2001 episode right around the time that we ended up splitting up. Do you want to talk about how you have uh, so graciously donated your materials for uh, a future episode? Well, I, wanted, I, I mean, I wanted it to be done, right? And since since your, since your heart and soul is uh, in the podcast, and you are the podcast, I, I thought it was only fair to – yes, I mean, the interviews are mine, but I, I wanted to – I wanted them to uh, go where they were intended to go originally, right? So I, I, you know, I went out at the time. I can't remember what we were working at the time, but I know we had talked about. I mean, it was kind of a series of things, right? Because I remember we had talked about uh, Magnificent Ambersons, and we did that, and then um, that got shelved. And then for a long time, we had talked about 2001. I just slowly, slowly started. Uh, working my way through the interviews and, and contacting people. And that led to, uh, you know, I just kept finding one after the other, you know, I was like, I, you know, I got a hold of Ivor Powell, you know, and, I'll, and he's like, well, you should talk to this person. You should talk to Andrew Burke and you should talk to Dan Richter. And, and so they just kind of kept, it kind of kept one door kept opening the next and to where I started, um, you know, building, I don't know, whatever 20, I don't know how many interviews there are 12 to 20, I, somewhere around there. But, and I, I know I was lucky enough to get uh, the, one of the last interviews with Fred Ordaway, who was one of the technical consultants. He died, I think, a year or less after I after I interviewed him. Um, and so, yeah, your you know your listeners should have a pretty 
big treat there because we one of the last uh, audio documents of Fred Ordway before he passed away, and he's got a ton of crazy insights. I mean, I'm still meeting people from 2001. You know, like I, one of the people that worked very closely with Frank Perry, she, his Frank's uh, Frank's assistant uh, Lydia, uh, who was with Frank from I guess 60. 65, 66, up until 69, 70, she, she worked for Kubrick uh, during 2001 in New York. And so the reason why um, she, the reason why Frank hired her was because she, Frank was such a fan and friend of Kubrick that he just wanted everything to do with Kubrick. And so he hired her as his assistant strictly on the premise that um, because of she had worked with Kubrick, right? So yeah, and she, and she, I, I've actually been lucky enough to go to I went to New York, uh, I guess it was last summer, and spent a couple days with her, and um, very, very tight-lipped. She just doesn't want to talk about anything, you know, but she wanted to meet me, and we spent a day together at an apartment, going out to, went around to lunch. She lives right up by uh, Strawberry Fields, and um, just a couple of buildings down from the Dakota, where Lennon was shot. But uh, anyways, uh, so, you know, I, I spent a couple, I spent some time with her, and at the end of my visit, she comes out from her back a room of her apartment and hands me this huge box <laughs> and I open it and it's just filled with all these memos and scripts from Frank's movies. And it's just amazing. She's like, she's like, yes, she's like these, I want to give you these. She's like, they're yours to use. She's like, but I want them in Frank's archive when you're done. And so, you know, I've got uh, original scripts for last summer and diary mad housewife and doc and, and some notes and some memos and some photos of her and Frank. I just a huge box of stuff, and I had to cart it on the subway. Anyway, so I'm, I'm still meeting, you know. And, and it, when I when I got to meet her, I did get to talk to her briefly a little bit about Kubrick, you know. And she shared this uh, amazing story about um, the day that Paul Newman came over to Stanley's apartment, and um, you know she had to open the door, and she was just head over heels in love with him. Just you know stories like that that aren't going to really yield any interesting insights per se into the production of 2001, but you know just nonetheless is really cool kind of anecdotes you know that that people have for that stuff. So yeah, so with 2001, I, I figured it's it was time for them to to come home to the projection booth. You know, I, I know that the episode will will not be what we truly envisioned it to be because. Um, well, I should say we probably didn't have an exact vision for it at that point, but one of the things we, you know, we did talk about doing, which I'm kind of sad, we probably will never be able to do is we had, remember we paid, uh, I didn't pay him, but I offered him like a kind of a marketing trade, right? I was like, if you do this for us, I'll promote you on the show. And, and so we had that voiceover artist record our IDs and, and as, as hell 9,000, he sounded just like hell 9,000. <laughs> That was that would have been great to hear. So, but I'm sure you'll. I have not, uh, the utmost confidence that you'll uh, make. You'll. I'm sure you'll know you make it way better than I would have made it anyway. So, and I'm not too worried about it. I wouldn't count on that. I just hope that I I do uh, right by you. We were talking about possibly making it the first 24 hour podcast. Yeah, yeah, that would have been amazing. I don't even, I I can't even fathom that. Like. You, I mean, you, you could do it, right? I, I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, your your listeners would take them a couple of weeks to get through it probably. But I, I feel like there actually is enough material there, and there probably is, if you structure it right, there is a way I think you could probably break that thing down and do it, right? You could do one hour devoted to your – you know, you could do two hours devoted to the apes, and you know, you could go into all the influences on that and – 
Uh, you know, you've got an hour interview with Dan Richter to use. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely – I feel like just with the interviews in that, you probably would have four, 12, 13, 14 hours just of interviews to combine in that, right? So that just leaves you with 10 hours of programming to fill. <laughs> and I've got to spend at least six hours on 2010, the year we make contact. That's right. And you've got all that. You've got the comic books to think about. You've got the uh, the novels, uh, the scripts, the different versions of the scripts, the uh, the uh, controversy with um, Kubrick accusing uh, – what's his name? The guy who did the makeup for Planet of the Apes. So for, for any, that guy stealing his makeup ideas for the apes from 2001. Because that was just right around that same time, wasn't it? Well, it, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because um, here in Atlanta, so before this whole COVID thing kind of got out of control, I, I kind of I befriended this guy who. Uh, so there's a special effects house uh, here in Atlanta that does all the makeup effects for. Um, they did the uh, the Cheddar Goblin for Mandy, the Nicolas Cage movie, and they they do they did some game of thrones stuff and they do uh they did some rob zombie stuff and they did some uh there's a show called your pretty face is going to hell which i think was on adult swim or something anyways um so they do all these special effects here so i, m- I met one of the guys that works there and he invited me to their effects uh studio and um it's it's a crazy place but i went there and you know we were talking about monsters and stuff and you know i talked about 2001 for some reason and in i said yeah you know and you know there's always this idea that that you know kubrick always accused such and such of uh stealing some of his ideas for the apes and he's the guy flipped out on me the owner he's like that's not true he's like i, I know that he's like i know that guy he's all right he's like i i know that work well and he's like there's no way he's like that you know planet of the apes came out in 68 and in 2001 came out in 68 and i was like yes but they were actually working on 2001 back in like 65 so i mean that was like a four or five year you know production so it's it's theoretically possible i think dan david dan richter i think in the interview i have with him even says even alludes to it if memory serves so it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh to see what you come up with and I mean there's no I don't think there's anyone else alive that you can talk to. <laughs> yeah, no, you've covered so much of it. I'm just like, is there any other interviews I can do for this thing, or is it just going to be now the research? Which luckily from a few years ago, I bought a bunch of those books, so I'm, right. I'm excited to to break those out again and reread them, and just even to see the way that the story progressed and to see how Clark was taking different pieces of his own stuff and putting them back together, recombining things in the new ways. It's like, okay, the people who say that the movie doesn't make sense are probably some of the my least favorite people in the world. It's just like, yeah, seems pretty straightforward to me, guys. I feel like there's there's so much to cover, right? So you could you could not only cover all those things you just mentioned and things I mentioned, but I mean it is arguably one of the most heavily written. It's it, there's a few films that are as written about as much as 2001. Do you know, like Wells, Hitchcock. Yeah, there's a ton of scholarship out there, but there's also a disturbing amount of scholarship about 2001. And my theory about that is uh, because I feel like sometimes you know. When things are uh, overtly ambiguous, it, it makes uh, your mind susceptible to explore down those rabbit holes, right? Where it's like you want – it's like going into a David Lynch movie, right? Like you know you're going to have to kind of work to find something, to, to, to find a resolution, right? When you watch uh, Mulholland Drive or something or like Inland Empire, you're going to have to kind of work um, to get through that, right? To find some sort of meaning, 
And uh, so I feel like 2001 is open to that too, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, from, it's as simple as, uh, you know, uh, at the end of 2001, when Cure Delay smashes the glass, right? You could, you could say, um, you know, because Kubrick is Jewish, that that's a, that's an homage to his Judaism, right? And the, the glass symbolizes in Judaism, the, the rebirth, uh, the, the, you know, that the break him at weddings, right? And so it's a, it's, it's the start of a new adventure. And what does Cure Delay do? He, breaks the glass and he's off on a next adventure you know it's something like that there's so much stuff in there right like it's it's just open to endless interpretations there's endless of writers you could talk to fans of the movie i mean even at some point when we were when we were starting to work on it i was actually reaching out to um i had put some posts on some forum boards i can't remember which ones that they were now but i actually had found some uh, original of uh, the people that were like original projectionists that you know had showed it in cinerama and uh, they were really cool. I talked, they were like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it. that movie changed my life. And you know, sent me pictures of the theaters that they, you know, the Cinerama, uh, domes around the country that they had screened it in and stuff. And it was just crazy. Like I said, I want to make you proud with this one. So I'm going to do my best. Oh, it'll, I, I have no doubt. It'll be, it'll be great. I'm not worried about it. It'll be, I mean, you got a lot of wonderful buzz off of Amberson's and it's, I feel like, you know, the, the, the podcast has, it has reached the heights it has reached now because of you and only you. And, and, uh, I feel like, you know, the, the more, uh, uh, adventurous and more, uh, daring you are with these episodes. And I feel like that's what sets you apart from film nerds or whatever, whatever podcast. Well, is. I still feel that you pushed me out of the nest. So thank you. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time, sir. Yeah. It's a pleasure, man. It's been a few months since we've done an Ego Fest. I wanted the 10th one to line up with the 10th year, but it's actually ending up lining up with the 500th episode. It's the end of the year. It's a good time to reflect, go back, and talk about things. One thing I want to talk about is uh, Patreon, where we've got a whole bunch of new levels. I added stuff a few months ago. I put out an announcement about that. So there are levels where it comes to just getting a shout out during one of these ego fests which i should be doing shout outs more like as we get new patrons shouting them out in the show because otherwise folks are going to sit through a really long list of things and that's what i have planned for towards the end of the show so i just wanted to warn folks it's going to be a little bit like a roll call it's almost like uh when you're sitting there watching your niece and nephew graduate from high school and it's like oh please just get on with it I think I've got 130 names of people that I need to thank for this. So, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So that's the first level is that you get a shout out. Second one. Second prize instead of steak knives. First one, which is just $1 a month. You get a shout out on here. Not too bad. That's definitely way less than the price of a cup of coffee. Second one, $5 a month. You get monthly updates, like I said. That's pretty much usually just for patrons. You get that. Also, if there's any sort of like 
hey, here's this book that you might want to read. Here's some other things that are coming up. You know, those little fun links sort of like, here's a really super rare movie. Let's go ahead and maybe make it available to the $5 patrons. $10? Wow. You get uh, early access to pretty much every episode that I put out. There is an RSS feed that you can use there instead of any other RSS feeds, and that will get you episodes before they come out. They're also, I can't say commercial-free, because they'll still have the, hey, listen to this podcast, listen to this other one. Like, what, two, three spots in the middle of the show? So you'll get those, but you won't get the you know, other, I can't say annoying, but other ads that show up from uh, Spreaker that get injected in there. That is $10 a month, and for $20 a month, you get to request a film. So you get to request something right now for 2022, because we've got a lot of stuff already for 2021 where folks have picked things out. So as we go through 2021, you're going to be hearing, hey, this was a requested episode through Patreon, so be prepared. Right now we've only got, I think, seven folks at that level. Seven out of 12, meaning that you could pick, you know, everybody could pick one movie for a month for a year. But seven months of 2021, you will have special requested episodes. One other thing that Patreon is doing right now is they are offering 10% discount. So if you wanted to spend, what would that be? So the $5 a month over 12 months. Oh, of course, I picked the one that's toughest to do. What would that be? $45? And then you could take 10% off of that. So $4.50. So you're paying $41 a year, I think. Let me get RoboHost in here to figure that one out. 12 months at $5 a month is $60 a adult. Less $6 for the 10% discount is $54. Why don't you buy a fucking calculator? One other thing I wanted to mention is that, as well as doing the podcast, 2020 allowed me the opportunity to do some commentaries for DVDs. So there are commentaries out there for The Last Starfighter. There's a commentary coming out from Second Run in January for Tomorrow I Will Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea. And with that one, you can hear that commentary, as well as the one that was done for the show back in September. So you actually have your choice as far as which commentary you want to listen to. I was very surprised recently when Synapse finally put out Massacre at Central High. I had given them all of the raw interviews that I did with the folks that uh, we did for the Massacre at Central High episode. So I think all of those have shown up on the Blu-ray, which is fantastic. Also, there have been some bonus things here and there, like uh, American Tiger from Cauldron Films got the uh, American Tiger episode that we did, and then also that has a commentary from Sam and Kat on there too. There is one that I'm waiting for, one announcement of a Blu-ray from Arrow that I'm waiting for, but I think it ties into a first-run movie that got delayed because of COVID, so I imagine if they're doing what I think they're doing, once they announce or once that movie comes out or gets closer to coming out in 2021, the Blu-ray will be announced. So it has a nice tie-in. The sleeper must awaken. Stay tuned for that one. And then, of course, I also want to plug that Survival of the Film Freaks, a film I helped produce with Bill and Kyle, is out there, available. You can order that one. It's a great stocking stuffer, either for this year or for next or before the year after. It's a great movie. 
I'm glad that my name's on it. I'm glad it didn't come out and I said, ooh, but no, that's not the case. It's a great film. All right, I'm going to try to read out these patrons who have given their time, their money, their love, so that they help the show go. This is in not necessarily any particular order, and hopefully I don't butcher any of these names. Steve Byrne, that's Steve Byrne of the Freep Film Festival, which hopefully is coming back in 2021. Emily Barney. Pensiliero. Nick Britt. Jordan Nash. Andrew Hendrickson. Maestro. And hey, Maestro, you need to pick which tier you're at. When we changed the tiers, it didn't automatically say if you paid this much, then you get in this tier. You have to pick that out. John Adam. Urban Green. Ellis Kish. John Jenks. Joseph Charlesworth. Todd Martin Cobbler. Mick Brooks. Bjorn Unar. Bill Ackerman. Brian Tessitore. Judith Main, who is on our episode about Le Corbeau. Jack. Just Jack. Victor Laval. Christopher Fitzpatrick. Wayne DeGoldi. Andre Idu. Clinch. Vincenzo Natale. Drew Bateman. Conrad Silas. Journey of an Asset podcast, which I had the pleasure of being on an episode of that earlier this year. Travis Martin. Grace Morgan Pardo. Winter Tyson. John Redford. Jonathan Melville. Skiz Sizik. R.W. Lovejoy. Patrick Macius. Drew A. Yavor. Tony Hudson. Jason Davis. David Wolf. Chris Martz. Tiago Barbosa de Miranda. Stuart Rankin. Robert Mary. I don't know if that's Robert St. Mary and they just cut out the saint. Colin Gallagher. Mark Peterson. Jennifer L. Kello. Brom Brunes. Sorry, Brom. Bobby Power. Dylan Davis. Kenny Siegel. Tom. Mike Bell. Michael Lick. P.T. Ryan. Gabe Weissart. Faisal Azam Kreshi. David Bullock. Lori. Nico Schmidt. Erlen Evanson. Michael Trippiano. Dusty McGowan. Bob Vickers. Tila Wickland. David Bertrand. The After Movie Diner. Another fine podcast. Robert Zavrina. Sorry, Robert. Daniel Dahl. Steve. Jim Stevens. Here's one that I don't think that I can pronounce this. S-J-I-J-S-K-H-S-I-S-I-S. Charles Wood. Eric Peterson. 
David Springfield, Nicholas Grebius, Andreas Muller, Ohad O'Mahony, Kai Clear, Steve Hamilton, Film Lars, Sir Alvin Akarma, David Jordan, Auntie Halopainen, Matthew Clark, Myrna, Eric Gilliand, Raul Benavides, Matt Clark, as opposed to Matthew Clark, Mr. X, JC, I don't know if that's Jesus or somebody else, Aima Noah Bodhi, Boots Century, Thomas Ronka, Stuart, Eric Luther, Mark McElligot, Brian Holt, David Hart, Maurice, unless that's Morris, Eric Highgraph, Alan Ricks, Darren Williams, The X-Cast, Mike Crate, Eddie Coulter, Christine King, Brian Rosenberg, Kalsabub, Hortense the Mule-Faced Girl, Jim Lakskowski, William Boodle, Nicholas Kernow, Alistair Montgomery, Jason Kaufman, Hugh Bochard, Paul Sibson, Jerry Kowalski, Kelsey Sorensen, K.L. Young, Monica Sheets, Lutz Bakker, Susan White, my old professor, Chandon Bott, Leon McShanag, Nick Barsak, Tenny Manuk, Christian Von Schack, Jared Labine, Michael Sackers. And just uh, make this fully complete. Christian, you need to select your level. Raul, the After Movie Diner, Robert Zvernia, Zv- Zv- Robert Zv- Zverina, Mark Peterson, Jennifer Kello, Robert Mary, and Grace Morgan Pardo. Y'all need to select your levels over on Patreon, so please do that if you haven't done it already. So that way when I select, hey, this episode goes to this person, or this level, this episode goes to this other level, or whatever I'm doing, that way you'll get the things that you have paid for. That's kind of nice, right? Every once in a while you get the stuff that you pay for. Well, I want to thank again those 130 people. I apologize if I butchered any names. Unfortunately, Patreon doesn't have one of those read this phonetically type of thing. Which most of the time, I'm sure we just fuck around with anyway, right? So here is to a wonderful 2021. Got a lot of things already in the hopper as far as interviews go. Things that I'm working on for... There's a bunch of stuff for June that I've already got some interviews in the can. I mean, we're already looking at some things for November of next year. I've even got an interview completed for an episode in December of next year. So we are definitely moving on things. So don't, again, think that I'm ignoring you if uh, you've given a suggestion in the past. I'm also working on those. 
So there are some things that people have asked for years ago that are still happening. Recently, we did the Mick Travis trilogy, which was something that I got suggested probably six years ago. So it definitely happens, though there are other times where interviews just kind of fall in my lap where I say, hey, let me try to get this person. And that's how an episode comes about. So once again, thank you very much, folks. I really appreciate your time, your energy. This podcast has really kept me going through 2020. It's been a shit year. We all know that. But hopefully I've given you a little bit of pleasure. You definitely have given me a lot. So once again, thank you. And hey, keep the shiny side up and the dirty side down. <laughs>